Praise the Lord. Well, welcome everyone to our Wednesday night Bible study. And for those of you who are watching us online, welcome. I know that you guys are looking at all these balloons and this big sign back here, Back to School Jam. Well, this Sunday we're having our Back to School Jam, right? We're going to be praying for all those uh, that are going back to school, all of our young kids, our youth, right? But not only that, we're also giving out backpacks and school supplies, right, for all of our kids. So bring your kids, okay? Bring your kids and um, get ready to pray for them. Not only that, but we got a huge surprise, too. we got Pastor T charring it up. So there's going to be some food afterward, okay? So come, come with your kids. Come with your appetites. Amen. Also, this Sunday, um, we're also going to be picking up a special offering, okay, for um, those that were affected in Maui, right, through the fires, you know, those that have lost a lot of uh, properties and loved ones and, and things like that, you know, it's a, it's a huge uh, tragedy. Uh, but, you know, we're thankful that even in the midst of, of something like this so devastating, you know, we, we, we serve a God who can turn things around, you know. And I'm so thankful that even as I'm watching the news and I'm seeing how, you know, uh, the devastation that, that went on in that place, uh, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see the church move. You know, how many of us know that we're a church on the move? Amen. So it's encouraging to see the church on the move, to see, you know, ministries out there that are already on, on ground, right? They got their boots on the ground ready, and they're helping to serve those that are in need. And that's so important. That's so important for us to, to mobilize, right, for us to be active uh, in our faith, you know, helping one another. Remember the Lord says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love who? One another, right? So that's, that's what we're doing a anyway. So I believe that's, that's all we got right now for announcements, unless uh, I'm reminded. But let's get into Bible study, amen? amen? Praise the Lord. So how many of us uh, remember what we covered last week? What did we cover last week? Uh, pop quiz. The what now? The brothers, right? Right? We were covering the story of, of the brothers. Which brothers are these? Jacob and Esau. Right, the twins. Okay, but there were there were a few things, there were a few key points that we pointed out last week. You guys remember? Right. Let me give you guys a hint. Right. We learned that, you know, those those that God uses in a tremendous way at times can fall into a life of what carnality, huh? They can fall into a life of the flesh. You know, um, we saw last week. You know that Isaac and and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob. You know how it, all of them messed up. This whole family was messed up. You know, they were all making mistakes. They were all blowing it, right, at one time or another, whether it was through disobedience or through lying or through conniving or even manipulation, right? They were showing their lack of faith, right? They were living in the flesh and living in their own energy, right? They, they weren't waiting on God. But, you know, that's enough of the negative points, right? Because we were also encouraged last week about the goodness of God, right? How God is in control of, of, of everything, right? Despite our mistakes, despite our shortcomings, God's in control. Amen? So right here, God shows us that, you know, in his word, that, that we can count on his word, right? We learned that last week, that we can count on God's word. You know, and we, and, and, and we won't make any mistakes, right? Uh, costly choices like the way that these guys did last week, you know, when we count on God's word, right? We also learned something very crucial from Isaac. Even though Isaac, you know, made some bad choices in the last chapter, there were some things that he showed us, right? He showed us how to bless our children, right? You guys remember how we bless our children, right? By speaking a word of encouragement, right? It was a proclamation of who our kids are, right? You're talking to your kids and you're just saying, this is who you are. This is what I see in you, right? So you're, you're speaking, you're, you're proclaiming this to your kids. So it was a word of proclamation, but not only that, it was a word of revelation, right? Where they're headed. This is what I see in you and this is where you're headed. This is where you're going. So in the way that he did this, I really love it because there were four things that we brought out last week in the process of how Isaac spoke into 
his kid's life, right, into Jacob, which he thought was Esau. You guys remember that? The very first one was a soft, meaningful touch. Remember that? A soft, meaningful touch when, when Isaac told uh, uh, Esau, well, he told Jacob, but he thought he was telling Esau, come close to me, my son, and kiss me, right? It's that soft, tender touch, right? The second thing was that spoken word, that, that spoken word of valuable, valued evaluation, right? In other words, you're, 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 you're looking at the strengths of your, of, your, of your kids, and you're telling them, this is what I see, and you praise them for their strengths, right? This is what Isaac was doing when he thought he was talking to Esau, right? Remember? Mijo, you stink so good, huh? You're from the field, you know? So he was, he was praising him for his strengths, okay? The third thing was that he was giving his son a special future, right? A special destiny. He was giving him the blessing. This is what you're going to go through. You're going to have success. You're going to have prosperity, right? And the, and the last one, which was the most crucial, you guys remember the most crucial one? It's the one I was hoping you guys would remember. The continued commitment, right? Isaac was committed to making sure that the blessing was going to go through. Amen? Despite our setbacks, despite mistakes, okay, Isaac stayed committed to making sure. Why? Because he never reversed the blessing. As much as Esau cried about it, he never reversed the blessing. And he said, no, this is going to happen. It's already been said. It's already been done. That's final. Amen. And so that's a lesson for us as parents to stay committed, right? We bless our kids, stay committed to seeing it through despite all the setbacks that we go through in life. Amen. So let's continue with our story. Tonight we're going to cover chapter 28, but we're actually going to start in uh, chapter 27, the ending of 27. Uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 41 of chapter 27, then work our way to chapter 28 and uh, up to like the first verse of 29. So we got a lot to cover tonight, praise God. So when you have it, just give a shout out, amen. Oh, that was quick. Well, welcome. Welcome. Let's, let's give our visitors a hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Pardon me? Uh, book of Genesis. We are in Genesis. Uh, let's go ahead and start off in uh, chapter 27, verse 41, and we're going to work our way through uh, chapter 28. Okay. Genesis 27. Genesis 27. Starting from verse 41. Man, you guys are keeping me on my toes. I love it. Praise the Lord. Okay, are we ready? All right, let's go ahead and read. Verse 41 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her son, what her older son Esau said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. So here we're seeing Esau, right? Last chapter we saw Esau crying because he wasn't going to get the blessing. Now he's angry, okay? Now in verse 41, he's angry, okay? He's angry because he feels like he got cheated. Right? And so now, Rebecca catches wind of, of what Esau was planning to do. Okay? And what's funny, what's funny here is that, remember, you know, in the, in the earlier on of the chapter, Rebecca was the one that was listening in on the conversation. You know, she was the chismosa. She was the one, you know, being nosy. Right? But now, this time, she's not the one doing it. Now, it seems that she's got a bunch of operatives around, huh? Because now they're coming to her and say, hey, man, this is what we caught wind of. You know, this is what, what, what we heard, you know? So now, you know, it kind of looks like she's got some operatives around, like some secret spies. You know, that's funny. So she catches wind, and what does she do? She jumps back into action again and gets involved and starts manipulating again. Like she didn't learn her lesson the first time with Jacob, right? So she jumps right in, 
and starts pulling strings. Now keep in mind, how old are these guys? 77, right? 70, you guys were close. 77 years old. And here you got mama coming into the rescue again. Okay, she's doing her mom thing, right? Now this is how this is how Jacob got in hot water the first time, you know, her trying to pull the strings and finesse the whole situation, right? So let's continue. Verse 43. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what, he, what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So, mijo, go on out there to Uncle Benny's house. Okay, go on out there for a little while until he finally chills out. After a couple of days, I'll send for you and we'll come back, all right? But you know what? These few days will turn out to be more than 20 years. Okay? The time flies by, and Rebecca would never see her son again. Okay? All because she tried to manipulate, all because she tried to pull the strings, all because she tried to do things in her own energy, she loses her son. Okay? So she'll never see him again, which is pretty heartbreaking for her mom, right? To lose her son. And that's a lesson for us parents, right? Us parents, we love to be in the mix. I'll be the first to admit it. I love being in the mix. Now, I could understand, you know, if our kids are young, right, you definitely want to be in the mix. You definitely want to be in there, and you want to pull the strings. But let's keep in mind, these guys are 77 years old, right? 77 years old. There comes an age, you know, where, where our kids, right, make their own decisions. They have to make their own decisions. We as parents can, yeah, we can give the advice. We could try to point them in the, in the right direction, right? But ultimately, it's going to be them making that decision. We as parents, right, we can't right away jump in and start manipulating. We can't start pulling strings. We can't do that as much as we want to. And as much as our intentions are in the right place, we can't do that. Because now we're fighting a different battle, right? Remember what we covered last week? What was the battle that, that we were entering in? The battle of prayer, right? Pray for our kids. You know, there comes a time where we can't pry. So if we can't pry, then we pray, right? We fight a different battle, amen? The Bible says that we, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Okay, so now we're starting to see the beginnings of the consequences of their bad choices, right, that we covered last week. Number one, Esau develops a hatred for his brother, so much so that he wants to kill him. Okay, so now we're talking murder, all right? Number two, now Jacob is forced to run for his life. Now Jacob is what, you know, we want to call a, a fugitive now, right? He's on the run, fearing for his life. And number three, Isaac and Rebekah would never see their son again. So you see how devastating these consequences are for the bad choices that they made, right? Not only were these consequences severe, but these consequences were long-term. And we, 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 we cannot afford to gamble with bad choices, right? We can't afford, you know, to toy around with, with, with bad choices because bad choices can come either short-term or long-term or even sometimes a lifetime, okay? Now, I've had conversations many times with people, you know, about, about making the right choices. And I've heard people tell me, well, I'm not hurting nobody. I'm only doing it to myself. Well, that's not true. That's not true because, the, you know, every, 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 every decision that we make, all right, not only affects us, but it affects our surroundings, right? The choices I make, the choices you make, the, you know, it, it affects our, our surroundings, so we have to think about that, right? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. So when we're tempted to make bad choices, when we're tempted to, to get in there and start manipulating the situation, we have to understand that we're in a different fight now, 
right? So we got to pray. Our, our fight is on our knees now, right? Remember how we covered last week. What did Job do? What did Job do in chapter 1? He woke up every morning and he sacrificed for his kids, right? Remember he did all the dirty, blood, bloody, and hard work, right? He sacrificed for his kids. That's the type of battle that we got to enter into now, right? Our battle is on our knees now, right? So whenever we're tempted to make a bad choice, we also got to think about the other person. How is it going to affect the other person, you know? So in other words, we have to take the focus off of ourselves, okay? Take the focus off of ourselves. So let's continue. Verse 46. It says, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Let's go on to 28. Verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now this part right here is interesting, okay? How did Isaac get his wife? Right, got her from the land from where his father was from. But how did he get his wife? Abraham, his father. His father got his bride for him. Remember? His father sent his servant to go fetch a bride for him. Go into the land of my people and find a bride for my son, right? But here, we've got Isaac telling Jacob, go get your own woman. What's going on here, right? When, when, when. When Abraham's servant shows up to get the wife, you know, for Isaac, he receives a divine sign, right? Rebecca comes out. She waters the camels, and that's a divine sign. But here there ain't no sign. The only sign that's given to Jacob is go out and get your own lady. So what's going on right here? Simply this, and I love how Paul would put it. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul would tell would say to me, and Paul would say to you, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How does that apply here? Listen. Your salvation is going to be worked out. Okay? Not worked for, but worked out. Okay? It's going to be done like exercise. You know what I mean? Your salvation is going to be worked out differently than the person next to you. Remember last week we covered how unique our identity is in Christ, right? Our identity in Christ is unique, it's different, but we all carry the same Holy Spirit, right? So in other words, my bad habits aren't your bad habits, right? Your bad habits aren't the next person's bad habits, but it's the same Holy Spirit that's working everything out in us, right? Each one of us has to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, right? Okay, now, stay with me on this, okay? We're all saved by what? By grace. Through what? Through faith, right? In who? In Jesus, right? And what he did at the cross, right? So we're all saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus. But how our salvation works out, okay, is differently, each one from another, okay? So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because Paul would also go on to say it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, right? So what do I mean by that, okay? What I mean by that is that, listen, I can look at a person with freedom, okay, and say, listen, you don't have to be like me and I don't have to be like you, okay? We can show each other grace. We can show each other space. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that's working everything out in us, right? I could look at the next person and I could say, you know what? The Lord dwells in you. You know what? The Lord dwells in you, right? I don't have to take that position of judgment. But I can know 
based on what I'm reading here, that the Lord dwells in you and the Holy Spirit is working things out in each and every one of us. Amen? So remember last week that we covered the problem with those that want to be somebody else? The problem with those that want to do what other people are doing, that want what other people have, right, because of the lack of faith, right? How we have people that are chasing after an anointing somewhere here, a gift over there, you know what I mean? When we already have it, remember we covered that? Because if we're anointed, we have, we have, if we have Christ, we're anointed, right? So the problem was the lack of faith. Well, here is another side of it. Here, we have a problem also of people looking at others and frowning upon others because their walk is not like ours. You see what I'm saying? I've seen many in, in, in the body of Christ in the church who will frown, who will judge on others because they don't pray like, white, like I do. They don't sing like I do, right? They don't, they don't uh, dress like I do. They don't act like I do. And so we're quick to judge the other person, right, because they're not doing what we're doing or they're doing what we're not doing. You know what I mean? And so that right there becomes a form of what? Legalism, right? And that could be dangerous in the body of Christ. So... This tells us right here that we don't have to look at the other person and say, you got to be a clone of me or you got to be a clone of the next person. No, but it, in, 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 in a different way, we can, we can say the Lord dwells in you, the Lord dwells in me, and it's God who's working things out in every one of us, right? Even though it's different, right? But he's working things out in all of us. So it's nothing going to be contrary to the word of God. It's not going to violate God's word. Right? But we're in a position to now we can show grace. We can show space. Amen? So it's really important that we realize that people's salvation is worked out uniquely. Okay? So let me bring this back to Isaac and Jacob. Okay? So in one case, Isaac receives his bride. He, he gets his woman. They deliver his wife to him. But in this other case... It's Jacob who has to go out and get his wife. Okay? It's the same thing. They're both having a wife. Right? It's just being done in a different way. So neither one is worse and neither one is better. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. Amen? So there are just different ways of doing it. But the Bible will go on to say, yeah, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, okay? So now Isaac is telling Jacob, you know, it's time for you to go. Now they're cutting the umbilical cord, okay? They said, you're 77 years old, son. It's time for you to go out and get yourself a woman. Time for you to get married, mijo. Huh? Ah, Social Security, okay. Okay, verse 3. So Isaac tells Jacob, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you are now, where you now reside as a foreigner. The land God gave to Abraham. Verse 5. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Badanaram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padanaram. Verse 8. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath. In some of your verses, it might say Basemath. What a name, huh? The sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So Esau's not doing the same thing that his mom did. He's being nosy, listening in on the conversation. Okay? So Esau hears the whole thing, and he says he has an aha moment. Ah, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why dad didn't bless me. It's because the women I got. Dad don't like the women I got. 
He goes, so I got a solution. Go get more women. Right? Like, that's going to be a solution, huh? So he says, I'm going to go get me another woman. But this time, I'm not going to go to the Canaanites. I'm not going to pick up a Hittite woman. This time, I'm going to try to keep it closer to the family line. This time, I'm going to go see Ishmael. Or at least the family of Ishmael. Because at this time, Ishmael's already passed about 14 years. Okay? So he goes, and he thinks he's doing a great thing. He thinks, you know, well, since you know Ishmael is my dad's half-brother, it's closer to the family line, I should be okay now. I should be okay with pops. Wrong. Because clearly Esau didn't get what the blessing was all about. Because Remember when God told Abraham, the blessing is not going to come through Ishmael. It's going to come through your son Isaac. Right? So Ishmael was also rejected, just like the Canaanites were, just like the Philistines were. Okay? So we can see here the lack of spiritual perception on, on Esau. And doesn't please dad and he's not impressed, okay? But the issue that I want to target right now is the issue that so many people have questions about in the Old Testament, in this part right here. We see it in the life of Esau, and we're going to see it in the life of Jacob. Esau's not alone. Jacob does this too. Because we're going to read that Jacob is going to marry two women. Not only is he going to marry two women, but he's going to have two concubines along with that. So that's four women. He's going to have children with all of them. The issue that I'm talking about that people tend to question is the issue of polygamy. We even have some religions that use that and say that it's okay, right? Why the issue of polygamy, okay? People think that just because you find that in the Bible that it's okay. Wrong, okay? The Bible, in a sense, is like a newspaper, Okay, it's like a newspaper or it's like a news magazine. It reports the facts. That's what the Bible does. The Bible reports the facts. If you find polygamy in there, it's going to report polygamy. If you find immorality in there, it's going to report immorality. Whatever you find in the Word of God, that's what the Bible is going to report. The Bible tells it like it is. It doesn't hold back anything. It tells it like it is. It tells you what is in there. Right? It doesn't hide it from you. Okay? So think of it this way. If you read the newspaper and you happen to see an article in there, like let's say, God forbid, a mass shooting somewhere, are you going to turn around and say, well, L.A. Times must condone it because it's on their front page? No. Why? Because all they're doing is reporting the facts. Right? But that's what the Bible does. The Bible reports the facts. And just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God approves of it. It doesn't mean that God condones it, right? If anything, it's the other way around. Because we're going to see that even in the life of Jacob, that the, that the issue of polygamy, it's going to cause headaches. It's going to cause heartaches. You know what I mean? We're going to see that, okay? Later on, we'll see that the law sets perimeters around that. Right? As we continue our journey through the Old Testament, we're going to see that the law puts perimeters around that issue. Not just polygamy, but also the issue of divorce. You know what I mean? And we're going to see also in the New Testament, Jesus makes that very clear. Okay? So let's continue. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones there. But he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway reaching, I mean resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now this dream right here is powerful, okay? Uh, Will, why don't you put up that image, please? I want you guys to take a look at this. Praise the Lord. Okay, you guys see this image right here? This is an image of Jacob's dream, okay? Now, we're looking at the staircase that's hidden from, from the earth all the way up to the top. But we look at the angels. The angels, it says that the angels are descending, or should I say ascending, and then descending, right? Now, when I, when I was reading this, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, 
you would think that it would be the other way around. That the angels would be descending and then ascending, right? Because when we think about angels, we think about, well, angels are in heaven. But this right here is telling us that they're, that they're not just in heaven. They're here on earth. Okay? So what are they doing here on earth? We see, we see that, you know, this is the dream that he had, right? But we're also going to see the same story play out also in John chapter 1, where Jesus tells Nathaniel the same thing, and he refers to this dream, okay? So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Not all angels, I mean, I'm sorry, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So what are the angels doing here? Serving, right? They're here serving. They're hanging out here, okay? So not only are they in heaven, but they're here on earth as ministering spirits, okay? And you know what? The early church was well aware of that. To them, it was the norm. I'll tell you why. You guys remember the story in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was locked up in prison? He was released, right? Angel of the Lord released him from prison. It says that the church gathered together, and what were they doing? They were praying. It says that they were praying fervently. In other words, they were really praying. What were they praying for? Peter's release. They wanted Peter to be released. So here comes the answer, right? The answer comes in the form of a knock. Little servant girl by the name of Rhoda walks up. Who is it? And Peter's real quiet because he can't scream it out, right? Otherwise, he'll let people know that he's out of prison. It's me, Peter. Let me in. So what does she do? She gets freaked out. And she runs. And she goes to where everybody's praying. She goes, yo, check this out. Peter's outside. What's the reaction? Nah, you're tripping. That's only his angel. So they refer to his angel, right? So much so, right, that they didn't even break prayer. They just said, it's just his angel. Like it was the norm. Now let me ask you this. If someone were to come in and say, there's an angel right outside those doors, what would you guys do? Huh? Continue with the Bible study? Liars. You know you guys would get your cell phone out, run out there, get a selfie with this angel. Huh? Throw it up on social media to see how many likes you get, right? It will be something huge, wouldn't it? But here, it was, it was the norm. They were like, oh, it's just, it's just his angel. You know? And they go back to what they're doing. They go back to praying. That's funny. But you know... Even, even Paul, even Paul referred to the activity of angels, right? When he, was, when he was talking to the Corinthian church, he would tell them, be careful. Be careful to do things in order because you have angels that are watching, right? He was talking to that culture of that time because at that time he was referring to women. But my focus here is not on women. My focus here is the fact that these angels were sensitive about order. Why would they be so sensitive about order? Could it be because a third of them came out of order? Right? When they left the authority under God and they linked up with Lucifer? Could it be that they witnessed in the Garden of Eden how mankind disobeyed God and fell out of order? You see... Angels are concerned about submission, about order, right? About our submission, okay? They're concerned about that stuff. Now, I truly believe that we even have angels in here. I truly believe that. Because the Bible talks about that when you talk about the issue of salvation, that the angels are quick to listen. They're quick, they're diligent to listen and to learn. Why? Because they don't understand salvation. 
They don't understand the grace of God. They don't understand the love of God, right? They only understand the holiness of God, right? They understand the omniscience of God, right? But to try to understand why a loving God would love us sinners, us failures, to them it's an astonishment. We're like a, we're like a living laboratory, okay? They're learning as to why God would love us so much. Because we mess up every day, huh? And yet God loves us. He loves us with an unconditional love. And this, this is what really stood out to me was the fact that they, they're, they're watching. They're watching and they're like, wow. Here we, 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 we stand before a holy God. And yet mankind who messes up all the time, God loves them so much. Isn't that awesome? God is worthy of all praise. Amen. Come on, somebody give him a hand over there. Praise the Lord. So he sees angels in his dream. Okay, Jacob sees angels in his dream going up and down. Okay, let's go back. Let's go to verse 13. He says, there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you. I will, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So there above this, this, this ladder is the Lord himself, right? I love this because now he identifies himself to Jacob personally. He says, I'm the Lord God. I'm the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. He identifies himself just like how Jesus identifies himself also in chapter 1 when he tells Nathaniel. He tells him, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon what? Upon the Son of God. And yet here in this story, the angels are ascending and descending upon the ladder. So what does that tell us? Who's the ladder, church? Jesus. Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is the one that, that spans, right, that gap between heaven and earth. Jesus is that ladder. The fact that you see angels going upward, Jesus made that way for us to be able to enter in into heaven, right? But not only that, the Bible says to come boldly before God's throne of grace. Jesus did that. The fact that you see angels descending, Jesus made a way for heaven to come down to earth. Amen? Somebody's got to give Jesus a hand, man. Somebody's got to give Jesus a hand. I, li I, like, I like to call Jesus the master gap filler, right? He's the master gap filler. That's him. And I picture him on the cross, you know, one hand on this, on this side right here grabbing the hand of God. The other hand on this side right here grabbing mankind and bringing us together. Right? Jesus. And this is what Jesus tells Nathaniel in chapter 1. He goes, this is what you're going to see, man. He goes, so hold on tight. Stick around. Okay. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know what the cool thing about this, this whole thing is that, is that God appeared to, to Jacob in a dream, you know, when, when he was asleep. You see, Jacob was on the run. Jacob was running, right? It wasn't until he finally stopped and rested that God appeared to him. And you know, maybe you're on the run. Maybe you're running from something or running to something. And maybe the Lord's telling you, stop. Just stop. You know, the Bible says, you know, to be still and know that he is God, right? There are times, you know, we get so busy with so many things, you know, trials in our lives. We're trying to do things in our own energy. And all God wants us to do is just stop. Just stop, okay? 
It wasn't until he stopped, that's when God met him. And you know what? God met him where he was at. Where was, where was Jacob at during this time? He was in a, he was in a, in, in, in a, in a foreign place, in a rocky region, right? And yet, he didn't have to be at home or he didn't have to be somewhere else. God met him where he was at, right? And God will meet you where you're at. No matter where you're at, he'll meet you. That's, that's how God is, amen? What I love about it is that God was the one that made the first move. He always makes the first move, right? We just, we just saw that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But in another place, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws you to me. God makes the first move. And here, we're, we're witnessing this. Jacob was a jacked-up dude. He was messed up. He was a liar. He was a conniver. He was a schemer. Right? He was a bum. But still, God showed up. And that's what I love about God. You see, no one can be too bad for God to show up. God will show up. Amen? And it shows us here that it's all about God's grace. It's not about us. It's not about what we do, what we don't do. It's about God's grace. Amen? What I love about this also is the fact that he makes him a few promises, right? The first thing that he promises him is, is his presence. He says, I am with you. So he promises, I will be with you. Secondly, he promises his protection. I will watch over you wherever you go. Thirdly, he promises preservation. I will bring you back to this land. And finally, he reiterates his promise that he will never leave him or forsake him. In other words, he'll finish what he started. And this is in the Old Testament, right? We also find this in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that Jesus is what? He's the author and finisher of our faith, right? And in Philippians 1, we're told that he who begins a good work or who began a good work will carry it to what? Completion, right? So in other words, God will finish what he started. We don't have to worry about the in-betweens, right? Because God said, I will never leave you. I will watch over you. I will protect you. I will bring you back, right? Here's a humdinger. Verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Notice that it says, the Lord is in this place, is meaning present tense, and I was not aware of it, past tense. He's saying, God is here, and I didn't know it. Why wouldn't he not know it? Well, because of his situation, right, the type of person that he was. You know, sometimes we focus so much on our past, or who we used to be, or the mistakes that we've committed before, right? That it takes away our, 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 our vision, right, from who we are in Christ. Because of our circumstances, right, he knew that he was, he was someone that was messed up. That's why he was on the run. And so he was in a God-forsaken rocky region, right? says that he was in a rocky region. He grabbed a stone and put it under his head. Well, maybe that might be your story tonight. Maybe you're going through a rocky region. Maybe you're going through a rocky marriage. Maybe going through rocky finances or walking on a rocky road. You can fill in the blank as to what that rocky road may entail. But you know what? What God would say to me tonight and would say to you tonight is, I'm with you. I'm with you in this place, even though you, not, you do not know it. When we get blindsided with things that we're going through, he gives us that assurance. No matter what you're going through, I'm with you. I see what you're going through, okay? It's encouraging because that tells me that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or death, nor anyone else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because there is no condemnation. 
You know what I love about Romans 8? Is that it begins that way. There is no condemnation. And then when you read to the end, it says, now there is no separation. Why is there no separation? Because there is no condemnation. Amen? So, why is there no condemnation? Because of Jesus, what he did on the cross. Jesus paid the price for all sin. He paid it all. For the things that we did in the past, for the things that we did today, for the things that we'll do tomorrow, Jesus paid it all. The Bible says that he is the once and for all sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's encouraging. Because many people live in defeat. Right? We beat ourselves up because, oh, I did this, or oh, I did that. Right? The word of God says that if you come and you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Right? We covered that last week. And cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Praise God. So what happens here? If we find ourselves in a rocky situation, we got a choice. We can either say God is nowhere. We can look at our situations through the grimy eyes and say God is nowhere. Or we can look at the situation through new eyes like Jacob and say God is now here. You move that W over to the left and now it's God is now here. Amen. On what basis, church? On the basis of grace. Because of God's grace. Amen. Verse 17, it says, He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now, I looked up the definition of the, of the word stone, and, the, and, the, and the, the definition, it gave me a lot of definitions. But what really stood out to me was that it was the reference that it was giving me. Because it was also referencing another stone that would be used as a monument. Anybody remember that? A stone that was set up by a prophet. The prophet Samuel. Okay. First Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. What did he name it? Ebenezer. Saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the prophet Samuel sets up this stone because God helped Israel. And here we got Jacob who will one day be called Israel setting up a stone because God shows up and he helps him. Not only does he help him, he saves him. Amen. So here we're witnessing a true conversion of Jacob. Jacob is having a true conversion right here. Okay. Because you'll know a true conversion when all they want to do is worship. And that's what Jacob did. Jacob woke up and the first thing he did was worship. So Jacob has this conversion right then and there where God appears to him and personally identifies himself to him of who he is and what he's going to do in his life. The heart of a true believer will always express love and thanksgiving to his Savior. Amen. How many of us are thankful for God's salvation? Amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. And he says this place is Bethel, right? Anybody know what Bethel means? House of God, right? Bethel is house, house of God. He says God is in this place, not God was here last night. He said, no, God is here. Present tense, meaning God will always be here. Amen. No matter where I am. No matter where you are, God will always be there, no matter what. Amen. So he called the place Bethel, but it used to be called Luz. What does Luz mean? Anyone know? Luz means separation. So Jacob was saying, I used to be separated from God. Now I'm in the house of God. Amen. And the same thing is true for you. The same thing is true for me. Amen. 
If people caught wind, man, that you guys were in here on a Wednesday night Bible study, they would be shocked, especially people that know your past, right? But isn't it awesome that you guys are here, right? Because you're no, you're no longer in Luz. You're in Bethel, amen? You're a new creature in Christ. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. Everything has changed. You're no longer the same person, right? Right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, you know, some, some scholars believe that Jacob is trying to strike a deal with God, okay, based on his character, right? Remember, he's a liar, he's a schemer, he's a deceiver. But me, I respectfully disagree. Because I got to go based on the fact that he woke up and the first thing he wanted to do was worship God. You know what I mean? He really had a true conversion. He wanted to worship God. He realized that he was no longer in Luz, and now he's in Bethel, right? No longer separated. Now he's in the house of God. So he's not saying, okay, God, if you would do this for me, then I will let you, do, I will let you be my God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Lord, if you will have me, right, if you will be with me, if you will do the things that you say that you want to do with me and to me and through me, then yes, Lord, I surrender. Yes, I, I, I would love to have you as my God. We see a true conversion here, church. Jacob is radically changed. And what I love here is that right here it talks about this personal relationship that, that, that Jacob has. It shows us that God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. In other words, Jacob had to have his own personal relationship with God. Jacob couldn't ride on daddy's coattails. Okay? Remember back last week, what did Jacob tell his dad? The Lord, your God, help me. And now here he's saying, my God. See the difference? Radical change. Which is very important because, listen, just like Jacob couldn't ride on daddy's coattails, your family can't ride on your coattails either. Right? Your children can't be saved just because you're saved. Your spouses can't be saved just because you're saved. Your family can't be saved just because you're saved. Each and every one of us individually, God desires a relationship with. He requires that relationship. 1 Timothy verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God desires a relationship with each and every one of us, church. Every single person of his creation, he wants a relationship with. But you know what I love is what happens afterward. Jacob says, okay, I'll give you a tenth. I'll give you a tenth. Right after he gets radically saved, I'll give you a tenth. Okay? It kind of reminds me of Zacchaeus. Remember the tax collector back in Luke, was it chapter, what, 19, I think? The little short guy who climbs up on a tree, right? Because he's trying to avoid the crowd, you know, that's around Jesus. So he climbs up on a tree to get a good look at Jesus. And Jesus looks dead at him. Zacchaeus, come down here. I want to have dinner with you tonight. You know, tax collectors were considered sinners. And yet here we got Jesus, the initiator, right, saying, come down here. I want to sup with you tonight. 
I want to have dinner with you tonight. And as you read that story, what else happens? He does the same thing. He said, Lord, I will give you half of everything. Not only that, but if I cheated anybody, if there's anybody that, that, that I robbed, I will pay them back fourfold. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that the first thing that him, that Zacchaeus and Jacob do is give? Wow. There's something about God's grace that causes us to move. Here we got two individuals, Jacob and Zacchaeus, that experienced the grace of God and it moved them powerfully, right? If we look at, if we look at Jacob, the grace of God that moved upon Jacob, we see three things that happen. One, it developed a life of worship in Jacob. Jacob got up the first thing in the morning and he worshiped, right? Number two was that it, it developed a life of works, right? Not as a means to salvation, but as a result of salvation, okay? As a result of salvation. So he gave willingly, happily. Remember, James says that faith without works is what? Dead, okay? And what I, what I love is that when you look at Zacchaeus and Jacob, the, their first works were giving. Isn't that powerful? How the first work that you do is an act of giving, which is what? It's an act of trust, an act of faith in God. You're trusting God with your finances. Wow. And number three, and this one goes into chapter 29, verse 1. It says, then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. Now, when it said that he continued on his journey, what it's saying, what the text is literally saying is that he picked up his feet. Okay? In other words, he had a new confidence in, in his relationship with God, right? He had a new confidence in his purpose, in his future, after his encounter with God. So what it says that he picked up his feet, it literally says he had happy feet. So what happened here was he developed a new walk. How many of us got happy feet? Come on, how many of us got happy feet? Because I mean, sometimes I'd be watching people walking like this, man, dragging into the church, man, doing this, you know. We got to start walking like we got some happy feet, man. Get a little strut, you know. Right? Why? Because we're, we're all experiencing the grace of God. You know what I mean? We're experiencing the grace of God. The, he says that where, where, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You know what I mean? We can never out-sin the grace of God. We can never do that. And that, that I'm extremely encouraged about. So what does the grace of God do? It brings it to conversion, right? That will manifest itself in one's worship, in one's work, and in one's walk. Okay? So what do we do? Quit trying to do things in our own energy. Huh? Stop. Stop. Wait on God. Amen. Wait on God. Trust God. No matter how rocky it may get, no matter how bumpy the road may get, trust God. Amen. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust God? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Father God, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you, Father, for all that you've shown us tonight. We're grateful, Lord, for your grace. Your word says that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. We're thankful, Father, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to bridge the gap between you and us, Lord. We're thankful, Lord, that because of Jesus, we have a way to have fellowship with you, communion with you, a way to come boldly before your throne of grace. As a matter of fact, we're thankful, Lord God, that you incline your ear to hear our prayer right now, Lord. Father, we pray that you would guide us and that you would help us. Help us not to live in our own energy, in our own flesh, but to live in your Holy Spirit, Lord. To depend on you, Lord God, to wait on you, Lord. 
At times we get busy. At times we get so preoccupied with so many things. Father, quicken our hearts, Lord, that, we're, that we may be able each day to take some time. Stop and just take the time to worship. Just like as we did, as we learned last week, how the priests, when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, took six steps and they stopped. Let us be like that, Father. Let us be mindful to stop throughout our day and just worship you, Father. We're thankful, Father, for your goodness, for all that you're doing and what you're about to do, Father. We pray a blessing over everyone here as we leave this place, Father. We ask for traveling mercies. Prepare us for Sunday as we come to celebrate, Father, back to school. Bless our youth, Father, in Jesus' name. And quicken everyone to come with a, a huge offering, Heavenly Father, for those that have been affected in Maui, Lord. We bless you. We honor you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray and let everyone say amen. 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 God bless you, church. Thank you.